0: The Media Rumble is back. In the second edition, we bring together news professionals, policy makers, investors, tech innovators from all over the world. It's where we discuss the future of news. It's where we talk about all facets of the news ecosystem. This year, we're set to make the Media Rumble Asia's premier media forum. There'll be professionals from some of the world's leading news organizations. Master classes on data journalism, on animation, illustration, storytelling, A convoy of 14 international speakers, filmmakers, satirists, all under one roof. Come, rumble at the Media Rumble. August 3rd and August 4th, 2018 at India Habitat Centre, New Delhi. Entries free for our News Laundry subscribers and Mufat Khors, register now. Seats are filling up fast, so log on to www.themediarumble.com.
1: See you there!
2: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Reporters Without Orders. Order, order. Welcome to episode 26 of Reporters Without Orders. A podcast where we discuss what made news, what didn't and some things that shouldn't have. This is Cherry Agarwal and as per usual, I'm joined by Amit at Sarvodia Enclave. Hi Amit. Hello. Today we have two guests joining our panel. First off, Vishaka Saxena, who's currently working with Asia Times. Vishaka has over five years of journalistic experience and prior to joining Asia Times, she's worked with HT, Indian Express and India Today. Hi Vishaka. Hi, thanks for having me. Joining us over the phone is Scroll's Arunab Saikia. Uh, prior to joining Scroll, Arunab was right here at News Laundry. He has worked with Sports Kira Enlivement as well. Hi Arunab. <coughs> Hi Judy. So without for having me over. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Without further ado, let's get straight to the panel. The Supreme Court has extended the deadline to publish the National Register of Citizens to July 30th. So, Aruna, beginning with you, could you give us some context as to how is the government aiming to count Indian citizens in the state? And what is how is this going to affect the people over there?
0: Uh, uh, So uh, what is essentially happening is uh, this is an enumeration exercise uh, to count all legal citizens of Assam, uh, who who, uh, is uh, anyone who came uh, to the state before the midnight of 24th March 1971. Which corresponds to the beginning of the uh, Bangladesh Liberation War. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and uh, I mean, uh, just for some context, uh, that date uh, was basically uh, I mean a result of uh, the Sam Accord. Uh, that was an ag- agreement signed between Assamese nationalist nationalists and the Indian government to mark the end of a violent uh, six-year-old, uh, six-year-long agitation against uh, alleged foreigners. So, what's happening now is the Supreme Court mandated exercise and uh, run uh, I mean it's been led by the NRC Coordinator in the state. Uh, and uh, it's a complicated process. Uh, begins with uh, you uh, having to submit your legacy data. Uh, you know, which is essentially you know, linking a connection to somebody who was uh, here before 1971. Right? That could be anything. That could be your grandfather's uh, name uh, or your father's name on the voter list of 1951, 1965, or 1971 right, then uh, after that you've got to connect yourself to, I mean, you've got to prove that that person is your father or your grandfather. And after that, the second level of checking is the family tree, you know, because, uh, say, uh, I, have a, I have a cousin uh, who's also submitted the same legacy data as my as me mm-hmm. and connected, uh, uh, both of the connected assets to a grandfather. Mm-hmm. So so the NRC authorities will do a cross check uh, if our family trees match. So that that's essentially a second layer of check. So, yes, uh, we're going on for a couple of years now, and uh, in all probability, uh, we will have an NRC by the end of this month.
2: But in the process, a lot of people have been left out. Like From the data that I've been reading, approximately 2 crore people who've submitted their documents are not a part of the final draft yet.
0: So yeah
2: also I was saying that just like you mentioned there are people who've moved from other states to Assam so mm. the NRC committee or the Seva Keynes they have to reach out to the different governments and the different state governments have to provide them with supporting documents or verify the documents that have been supported uh, that have been submitted so. True. In this process, what happens to the people who un- who do not end up or whose names do not end up on the list?
0: So, I think uh, two parts to your question, right? Yeah. Uh, you, for, In fact, three parts. So, You say a lot of people have been left out. Yeah, yeah a lot of people have been left out because, uh, first of all, uh, uh, we've, uh, only the first draft has been published so far. Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so a, substan- a substantial number of people have haven't featured on the first draft. Uh, the second part is, uh, you, you asked about the people who, uh, who have documents in other states, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, that's the problem that, the, you know, in fact, uh, Scroll just had a story by one of my colleagues. Uh, on Day. Exactly, precisely this, today. Uh, uh, I mean, urge uh, listeners to check that. Uh, so, basically, uh, the, 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 they're trying to get in touch and it's happening, but you know how the Indian bureaucracy works. Uh, so hopefully that will be. Uh, around, I think uh, queries of around 5.5 lakh uh, people have been sent to other states. So, so that's still uh, in the process of being, uh, you know, verified. Um, I think as of now uh, the agency has received only 1.6 uh, lakh documents. Mm-hmm. I mean, port- a, documents pertaining a lot of documents still less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and as of now, so uh, so basically also uh, in terms of numbers, uh, just to be clear, 3.29 people uh, have applied for the NR and out of that, uh, 1. 9, uh, three point two nine crore people have applied uh, for the NRC, and out of that, one point nine crore people have been ver- verified so far in the first list.
2: Correct. So, my third question.
0: That's what—that's a lot of people select, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, almost uh, two crore people. Uh, but uh, so but there are no numbers as of now. There are no official numbers because mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I mean whatever numbers come out, in the media is essentially you know speculation or unconfirmed sources. Uh, what happens to people who left for the NRC? No one knows, including the mm-hmm. Indian government. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, India does not have a repatriation treaty with Bangladesh.
3: Mm-hmm. In
0: fact, uh, uh, this government, which has been so muscular about uh, sending away illegal migrants to uh, you know uh, to Bangladesh, uh, has never talked about a repatriation treaty visa via Sam with Bangladesh. Last time they met uh, on the sidelines of the convocation of the Vishwavati University. They didn't even bring it up. So I suppose it's incumbent on the government, on, 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 a, on a government which won elections in the state by saying that they'll drive away illegal migrants to act. Uh, but then uh, it's, it's clear to everyone uh, in the state that uh, Nothing is going to come out of it, and uh, it, it could be horrific. People could um, people who left out. Uh, I mean, currently, people who declare as foreigners live in detention camps, which are essentially jails. Wow. Uh, so yes, a uh, bleak future ahead. Uh, no one knows uh, where this is headed. So uh, I also
2: wanted to ask you about the citizenship amendment bill. Right? It closely overlaps with the NRC, and uh, according to the Hindu, the, uh, the 2006 citizenship amendment bill is a is the government's way is the government's is the government actually trying to change the definition of illegal migrants? Through that bill is the first question. And my second question is, how will the bill affect the NRC list if it is enforced?
0: Uh, right. Uh, first part again, uh, yes, in a way it is. By saying that uh, non-Muslim migrants uh, from uh, four countries, uh, you know, when even if they've come, uh, you know, whenever they've come, irrespective whenever they've come, and without any legal documents, they they'll absorbed in the country as citizens or in fact they can apply citizenship, uh, not uh, absorb the citizens directly. Uh, so yes in, in, uh, so to speak uh, it, it, they are kind of you know uh, I mean changing who a foreigner is in India. Uh, I mean it's just an intention to do to do that at least. Uh, and the second part of the question yes uh, if, the, if if the if the citizenship amendment bill is enforced is is passed uh, by the parliament. Then uh, the NRC process becomes largely redundant uh, because uh, you know uh, because all Bengali Hindus mm-hmm. you know who who, who, who come of 1971 and who will not find a place in the NRC according to the terms and conditions of the updating process will be included as will be eligible to apply for citizenship. Mm-hmm. So what it does is it makes six years of a gigantic bureaucratic process that involved you know. <laughs> Amount of money and manpower, you know, larger redundant.
2: But would it also not become sort of something against a tool of discrimination against Muslims
0: identified as? Of course it is. Of, of course. Of, of course. I mean, that's that, 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 that the, the, the very, the very, uh, you know, the very essence of the bill is, you know, uh, that it's, it's against Muslims, you know, it categorically says, uh, you know, non-Muslims. Uh, I mean, does it doesn't say non-Muslims, but yeah, except for Muslim uh, migrants, uh, you know, pretty much everyone's uh, allowed in. It. So it is, uh, it's, it's essentially uh, an anti-Muslim bill, and uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't think uh, there's much to be surprised about, though, coming from where it is. Okay. Okay. Uh-
2: Lastly, I wanted your thoughts on the media's coverage of the NRC process as you mentioned that there are detention camps that have been set up and NRC related de- uh, suicides have been reported on but hasn't but has the media done justice to the coverage? What do you think like it has been reported to a certain point but not the amount of coverage it should have received. What are your thoughts and what do you think of the local media's coverage as well?
0: I I suppose the NRC hasn't covered I don't know, I don't know about the quality of the coverage, but in terms of, uh, you know, you know, national, uh, national, in terms of national media, you know, covering the subject, it has definitely been covered, you know. Okay. I mean, uh, it has definitely been covered more than probably most other stuff that happens in the northeast, except for the floods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has definitely been covered. But um, yes, the quality of the coverage, uh, could, you, could, you could call it to be suspected at times, because, uh, I mean, I, I, I hate saying this, uh, and it, it's a little bit of a, you know, uh, I mean, I'm mean, saying this over and over again is a little stupid, but uh, but this is an immensely complex, you know, subject. The the the, the, the issue of illegal migration in Assam, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it there's, a, there's a lot of history to it. You know, uh you know, I mean there, there there are multiple academic interpretations of what led to the Assam agitation, the cornerstone of the anti foreigner movement in Assam, right? 1979 to eighty five, there was a mass movement where everybody was in the streets. And when I say everybody, pretty much everybody was in the state, you know, the, the state had stopped functioning for a year. Schools, colleges had stopped functioning for a year. So, you know, uh, there, there were legitimate grievances, you know, and and and, and, and the grievances in multiple strands. Right? It wasn't, you know, you know, a, a, a popular liberal discourse. Uh, you know of the whole process is that it is, this is xenophobia it is definitely xenophobic to a, to a large extent it is any, any sub-nationalism any nationalism is at its heart you know xenophobic you know to a certain extent but, but there was also an element of a class struggle you know in the same you know and uh, you know like an entire bunch of people I mean, and the whole state you know coming out in the streets protesting and something couldn't just be xenophobia it was also deep-rooted resentment against the Indian state mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know uh, and the Congress perhaps, you know. Uh-huh. So so yeah, it, it, it's complex and it's very difficult for for for, for reporters, you know. And I understand this, you know, and as a reporter to come to Assam, spend two weeks and write a story that because there are so many stories, right? You know, everybody has a story. You know, there are so, so many contours to, you know, to the story. The so so yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, the coverage could have been better, but like that's I suppose anything else in our
3: country, you know. Okay. I mean, be back
2: for pretty much everything else um, Amit you want to
3: comment on yeah. this uh, hi Arunab uh, Amit hi. the side uh, I remember you wrote a story on Tripura elections and uh, I mean this has nothing to do with the Assam and NRC but it has I mean uh. this question is precisely on Tripura So you did a story on Tripura and you had clearly said that the young generation wants the BJP because it's aspirational, it wants job and it wants Tripura to develop as any other state in the country. And now we have seen the Chief Minister Dev, he has been making bizarre comments. And uh, I read one story in in Indian Express uh, where there was this very controversial issue, a letter being issued by the governor to appoint us uh, individual who was a bjp worker and uh, oh. he, he was also a ca so do you oh. think that you know uh, issues like this uh, more important issues where appointments are being made or there are uh, issues of governance you know and this could be also considered as a uh, you know a, a matter of corruption at least moral corruption That you're appointing someone from the party, uh, the governor is recommending someone from BJP to be appointed in the government. So uh, issues like this are not covered and we often tend to cover what uh, bizarre comments are being made by the chief minister instead of focusing on these larger issues. Of course,
0: I mean, uh, that that goes without saying, you know, to to, to get like a soundbite of uh, the club Dave and to blow it up is the easiest thing to do, particularly for TV. You know, because uh, because covering corruption requires uh, actual journalism. You know, I mean, it requires the reporter to be on the ground. Uh, you know, you know, go through paperwork and you know, actually work hard. That I mean, that goes. I mean, that, that that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, I think. Uh, I mean, in fact, I have you know very uh, consciously tried to steer away from you know. I mean, you know, reading too much into Biglum's uh, statements. You know. Uh, because uh, these are you know, it, 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 this is the easier, easier thing to do, right? So yeah, and uh, you know, I suppose uh, everyone does it because it gets you the eyeballs, it gets you the numbers, it gets you the hits. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you're right. That you know, much more to cover, uh, you know, in Tripura uh, other than uh, you know, the uh, you know,
3: locals. Right. And it's also difficult to find out those irregularities within the government, right? <laughs> so you go absolutely, yeah.
2: Okay uh, I don't As know I said
0: it requires real digging and you know I mean actually what journalism is supposed to be which you know a lot of us you know find hard to do in feelingly
2: Uh I don't know i we'll come back to you but now I want sure. to go to Vishakha Vishakha what do you think was underreported over the last week or uh, what was overplayed by the media, something that you (laughs) thought shouldn't have made news? Um, So
1: I think that the Thomson Reuters report Mm -hmm. uh, that found that India was one of the most, was the most dangerous country for women was quite underreported and um, the reaction to it was also quite conflicting. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember seeing a tweet where there was the denial on the report followed by two reports of rape and uh, molestation and harassment so it, it just for me i think this issue has been
2: underreported and also not talked enough uh okay. So just to give some context, uh, Thomson Reuters Foundation, a philanthropic arm of Reuters on June 26th released a report where uh, India was ranked as the top in the world's most dangerous uh, countries for women. But um, I slightly disagree with you about the quantity of coverage. didn't think it was underreported. I thought uh, because I saw uh, the debate on NewsX and NDTV and CNN News18 also held primetime debates. But the problem that I thought with the coverage was uh, particularly NewsX. This was uh, something pointed out by one of our team members. And NewsX, when I saw the debate, I realized NewsX is basically using the Thomson Reuters report and the UN report released earlier stating that uh, it's basically a foreign ploy to defame India. I was like, this is this could be a trigger point for better debates, for debates to actually think about, is India actually there, for example? And what do you think of the comparison that is there with the uh, African countries to India? Uh, a lot... A larger rhetoric has been, like, how can India be placed above countries like Somalia? How can it be placed above Africa? How can it be placed above Saudi Arabia? Do you think there's some merit to that rhetoric?
1: No, I do not. I think that India's rising hostility or hostile environment for women is a result of its patriarchal and misogynistic society or cultural values traditions however you want to look at it and this comparison that we make i mean how can be worse than them is i think also a part of our racism where we think okay somebody from africa or from uh, from with a darker skin can't be better than us which is and also if you think like if you look at the pattern that we have been following as a country when it comes to women um Liberation. I wouldn't even call it empowerment. Has been that we talk about it on a superficial level. Mm-hmm. On a, we s- we make noise about reservation or about equality or uh, reservation in parliament other and equality in workspaces or setting up the Vishaka guidelines mm-hmm. but we actually don't follow through in implementation the people who are supposed to follow through or are supposed to implement the follow-through are lawmakers who go around giving uh, comments like essentially saying that what I wear and what I eat.
2: While well, I agree to most of it don't you think implementation is a problem with a lot of flaws, not just of where course, it concerns absolutely. women. Absolutely, yeah, sure. Um, Amit, Arunab, do you want to add to that? Do you want to weigh in on the topic? I mean, what do you think? Do you think India could be one of the most dangerous countries? Not as a report, but the experience for women. I, I definitely
0: think it is quite dangerous, you know, and that for women. You know, I mean, I, 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 I don't think uh, anybody, you uh, know, any anybody with a mind would, you know, contest that. Um, but I, apparently, the, the 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 methodology of uh, you know the, the whole survey was flawed. But mm-hmm. I think it doesn't take a survey to tell you that uh, India is uh, spectacularly unsafe for women, mm-hmm. and particularly if you lived in Delhi. Good. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I suppose the the, the right wing, you know, denial is just you not know, just them. You know, everything is everything's a Western conspiracy. You know. mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, I think. I, I, I mean, I think it's just like. A lot of other things that will do, you know, it will, it will so well for the government to actually treat it as a problem, you know, and not uh, wish it away because it's done by a foreign
2: agency. Just to add to what you were saying, so the findings are based on the perceptions of 550 experts on women issues. So, a lot of what has been talked about in terms of the limitations of the project has been the sample size, and also the contention is that there were just 43 participants in the project from India out of the 550 experts. So I agree, like, while there can be contention about the methodology, but that could have been used as a trigger for a larger debate. Amit, do you want to come in on that?
3: Yes. Uh, number one, I mean, Indians shouldn't be concerned with whether it's on the top or at the bottom. The very fact that women are unsafe here is the biggest issue. And we should be concerned by that fact. Only we don't need any Thompson writers or any UN report to realize what's happening in our country. I mean, uh, you see what happens in national capital Delhi, where you have the biggest amount of force uh, in in a geographical area, and it comes directly under the Union Home Ministry. And despite that, crime against women happen very often, and there's no check Uh, uh, so much so that uh, the body, women's body in Delhi, uh, the. uh, people there, uh, including the uh, DCW chief, needs to sit on a dharna outside Rajnath Singh's house to ensure there's a swift and smooth police action against uh, uh, rape accused. So that happens, number one. Number two, uh, uh, I'm just trying to counter the arguments that you gave uh, on the part of patriarchy. Like there's a country called Saudi Arabia which just uh, lifted the ban uh, on women driving. So a deep entrenchment of patriarchy is there in these countries as well. And then, uh, the people who are questioning, we we should not ridicule them by you know using uh, these arguments because uh, the list also includes countries uh, like Syria, which is a crisis zone right now, and it has crisis at different levels. So there's uh, the war going on. You have uh, different uh, rebel groups fighting with each other. Then you have. Uh, I mean it's the entire area geographical area is under several layers of crisis and for a matter of fact we know that there have been multiple reports the ground reports which have come out that uh, women are being subjected to sexual and uh, all sorts of uh, violence so There will be questions like if Syria is on the list, how can India be on the top? So that question will be there. Then people will end up asking that their countries like Saudi Arabia. I think India could come on the top list it's also the aftermath of 2012 Nirbhaya rape that we have seen that uh, registration of cases in this country has increased and it should be appreciated not the fact that crime is happening but we as a society have at least opened up to the fact that you know people are coming to the police stations and they're reporting it now it becomes the responsibility of the system to respond to these uh, complaints to act on these complaints swiftly and smoothly and ensure that the legal process is also followed up uh, properly in the court which is uh, the biggest problem right now that uh, such cases uh, face that in the courts even in nirbhaya's uh, uh, gang rape case what happened it took so many years in the court for the decision to come out, and uh, we often hear of different rape cases which are pending in the court. So we need swift so trial and uh, immediate—not I won't say immediate action—but it should be time-bound, uh, you know, legal process. No. Yeah.
2: Adding to what you were saying, Amit, like I'm, I'm sure the there could be. I'm not saying that there is no merit to the rhetoric that there is a problem with the methodology. But what I'm also saying that for example there's female genital mutilation India doesn't have laws against it, but other countries that we are saying that
0: we cannot be above. We can- has a law FGM, no, for, you know, and it has it has, it has lost for quite some time now, you know. So also, I don't quite agree. Sorry, I don't quite agree with the whole thing you know a, a war zone being more unsafe for women. You know, I, I mean, I, I think I think a Kashmir and North East are much safer for women than you know many places in in in, in, in mainland India. You know, uh, and uh, you know, so I mean, I I, I Saudi Arabia it could be uncomfortable for a woman
3: it may not be great to be a woman in Saudi Arabia but it may not be unsafe I think there's a difference there yeah but then you also have reports you know you also have reports uh, these are very f- limited reports on IS like how Islamic State is uh, sexually abusing and using women as slaves so these are all uh, these reports are also there but you don't have any data to back such uh, reports because you can't go on the ground to do a survey so that question will, will always remain there
2: yeah vishaka do you want to come in so, on that um I, I absolutely
1: uh get what what you're saying when you say that uh, we have been we know about what isis is doing to women but let's also consider this is a terrorist organization and terror uh, and efforts are on to uh, sort of combat it and uh, let's say, deal with it. Uh, But when it comes to, and also uh, one more thing that you said about Saudi Arabia, for example. Um, I just, I know a couple of Men from Saudi Arabia, and I do get what you're talking about, patriarchy. But at the same time, if a man in Saudi Arabia were to look at a woman, uh, were to make a woman uncomfortable, or were to rape a woman, there are harsh punishments for it. I'm not supporting the punishments or a public lynching, or but I'm saying that there is a strong sentiment against a crime
3: against against
1: crimes being committed against women Mm. which is not something that is existent which I I mean which I don't see very prevalent in India strongly enforced in India because you know in India it's automatically replaced with victim shaming where it is so we're not even considering the fact that this shouldn't be done we're just like it's a a woman's responsibility I
2: think there's a lot more to this debate than what the podcast allows Mm. right now time for but moving on to that Amit uh, what do you think was underreported by the media
3: I think uh, I have less to talk about what was underreported one instance that I'll talk about is uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi was in uh, uh, Maghar and uh, the speech was almost live on television screens and uh, He spoke about Goraknath, he spoke about Kabir, he spoke about Guru Nanak and Mm -hmm. said that all three of them had sat together here to discuss spiritual issues. Now for a Prime Minister who has been doing goof-ups every uh, every now and then he he has made claims similar uh, you know goof ups he have, he had made similar goof ups in the parliament he has made uh, i don't know whether it's deliberate or it's uh, just a mistake by the fact checking team or the people who write his speeches uh, this has been happening in the uh, election rallies all across from Bihar to Karnataka. And then he also went on international forum to say, probably it was slip of tongue where he said uh, number one, what's India's uh, voter count? Number two, what was the vote percentage of BJP? And then the uh, the population that he referred, I believe it would be, I think it's more than the world population itself. Uh, I'll have to check that. Uh, so this, uh, why I'm saying that when uh, the team, the fact-checking team of Prime Minister uh, is not doing a great job, we as media organizations should give it more coverage that these are the goof-ups so that this team at least starts working. right? So what happens is there's an easier way to do it and which the news organizations are following up right now, is they start writing pieces on their website. Now, if India today can write a piece, or if uh, XYZ channel can write a piece on it, why not run a package on the TV itself? Every day he makes mistake, so that uh, the team realizes that, okay, this is not working out because, The leader of the opposition or the leader of the opposition party, principal opposition party has been uh, dubbed as Pappu in in the entire country. So our prime minister is making similar mistakes And we go on to preach, oh, what a masterstroke, oh, what a speech. So we need to, uh, you know, point this out on the television television screens as well.
2: There are quite a few things that journalism in India or media in India needs to do. But I think this is way too much of expectations from them because if they are not going to even, if they are going to pull down reports that have already been published based on RTI replies, then... Asking them to fact-check Modi's speech.
3: It's not even fact-check. Dude, you are running the speech live.
2: <laughs> and that won't even get them TRPs. More no, I'm Dev.
3: Sure, I'm sure running a GFOP package of Prime Minister Narendra Modi is definitely going to get them TRP. A. From the people who love Modi. They'll hate the channels. B. From the people who hate Modi. They'll love the channels.
2: Okay. I hope everybody is listening for Amit's expert advice. Uh, but Amit, you also wanted to speak about Delhi's statehood.
3: Yeah, so on Sunday, uh, so one very tragic and horrifying incident happened on Sunday morning that uh, 11 members of the same family were found hanging from the ceiling. Uh, that happened on the same day uh, uh, in Indira Gandhi Indo Stadium. Uh, Aam Aadmi Party had called its uh, Pradesh Maha Sammelan. Where for the first time we did a story a week back on what is the strategy of aam party for the elections in 2019 and how it is going to use the statehood plank as uh, statehood issue as the main plank for the polls and they also the strategy is also based on the fact that no party is going to get majority in 2019 and hence every seat will matter so uh, it was the official announcement uh, of that particular strategy where uh, Arvind Kejriwal said that, uh, don't you want 85% reservation for Delhi Walas in the government jobs provided by Delhi government? Don't you want reservation for Delhi Walas uh, in the universities? And, har uh, juggi uh, ke jaghe makaan Haradmi ko sasta mm-hmm. So, these are the three planks, and he's now how he clubbed it together was he said that all these things will be possible if Delhi gets full statehood. And the kind of response that he was getting from the uh, people present there it was uh, amazing.
2: Amit, uh, sorry to button, but I do want to ask like a lot of time, leaders make promises that we know they might not be able to fulfill or eventually they end up not fulfilling them do you think arvind kejriwal is using the media to do the same
3: see here the strategy is little different arvind kejriwal's government has been in a constant tussle with the central government and even if uh party in power at the center changes situation for this government is not going to change It might get little comfortable, but it won't be a cakewalk for them, right? So, number one. So, the easiest way to do it is if there's a fractured mandate in 2019 and if they are able to win at least five or six seats from Delhi, they will be a key factor uh, in uh, whatever government is formed. So, Mm -hmm. in that government formation, they can barter two things. First, they'll demand for statehood. If not, they'll at least say, dude, is government ko mat karo, humko apna kaam karne do. So that way it's convenient for Kejriwal And uh, the, uh, the voters who have elected this government okay. So I think that's the strategy And no government is go- I don't think the voters are actually believing in Kejriwal's rhetoric That there will be reservation in employment or colleges You know, Because what I'll point out is It's a double-edged sword if Even if, uh, if I want, I can become a Delhi voter today because uh, there's a process I'll follow. I'll become a Delhi voter. So if I go on to vote on that promise that there'll be reservation in Delhi University or uh, colleges in Delhi for Delhi wala's, hmm. my brothers, sisters or my family members living in Jharkhand, they won't be able to get a seat in <laughs> Delhi University, which is already very difficult. So I might not vote for Kezriwal because of this reason. So yeah, that's the double-edged domicile, yeah.
0: right? That works. That works according to domicile. Yeah, but there's a, hmm, hmm. There's I, a process to it. No? I mean, who is considered uh, just because you vote in Delhi, you're not a Delhi, you're not a citizen of Delhi. Yes. Yeah, so, domicile when it comes to education, isn't it?
3: Right, but what will happen in electoral terms is I won't like to vote for a party which is uh, trying to bring 85% reservation. This backfire for Vijay Goyal in past.
2: Okay. So, moving on, Amit, do you also want to speak about uh, the reportage, media's narrative about the Patthalgari movement?
3: Uh, media's narrative, very quickly, I'll just uh, sum up uh, because I was able to point, uh, Also, I mean, could I, you
2: first give us a little context about the movement itself?
3: I think we spoke about this last week as well. Uh, uh, Patthalgari is a tribal tradition where uh, people demarcate land where they live and the Correct. Yeah, and uh, uh, the area where their uh, ancestors' uh, memorials are kept or uh, they are buried, so this entire area is demarcated, uh, demarcated by the people, uh, tribals and uh, this is called Pathalgadi and it is under the pesa act of uh, government of india and was also identif- is has been also identified under the fifth schedule of the constitution now in jharkhand suddenly the Raghubar das government uh, the Bharatiya janta party government said that this is international activity and people who sh- who are carrying out Pathalgadi movement should stop it right away uh, it was also because that uh, the Gram Sabhas uh, in these tribal villages where Patalgadi were carried uh, were being carried out. They said that the funds under the Tribal Action Action Plan should be directly given to the Gram Sabhas so that they can carry out the development projects. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, coming so, to media so narrative. So, what happened was uh, there were uh, there have been multiple clashes between the police and the uh, supporters of the Patalgadi movement and one happened on 24th June where uh, they were trying to carry out the Patalgadi mo- uh, practice and then the police objected and the clashes happened. The angry mob on the way back uh, surrounded the lo- local MP mundas house and they abducted the three guards there. Now, uh, the police action started to get these people, you know, uh, to rescue these three uh, guards, uh, the police personnel who were abducted by the Patalgadi supporters. And before this, a week back, uh, before this incident, uh, five women were gang raped. Uh, they were abducted and gam- gang raped in Khunti itself. So oh, the problem with the media narrative and to be precise with this uh, very liberal and very uh, I mean yes a lot of pe- majority of uh, people who identify themselves as liberal or who identifies themselves as one not supporting the BJP was this channel mm-hmm. and uh, f- this happened on three days I was amazed I mean the goof up can happen on one day it happened on three days Which the is the anchor, channel you are talking about? People can read it on News Laundry website as well. Uh, The anchor went on to repeat the same mistake on three days and how is that possible? This anchor is saying that, you know, uh, these five women were raped and the police uh, went to arrest the accused. The Pathalgadi supporters uh, clashed with the police. So you're saying
2: these are two different incidents and what the channel particular channel has done has mixed
3: the two yes and I'm really enraged because I belong from the state and uh, this puts these people in uh i mean at under utter risk because the, it was also running uh, slugs or the whatever you call it supers. that police supers the police versus uh, rebels these are not rebel groups you have to understand what's happening on the ground before putting such supers or slugs on the channel on the channel
2: why do you say they're not rebel groups just to explain it to our readers see uh, that
3: area uh, jharkhand itself is its red corridor number 1 number 2 khunti uh, is uh, essentially a place where uh, uh, these uh, maoist organizations and other naxal organizations are very active i won't say naxal but plfi is one group which is very active and uh, so much so that there is w- a war like situation between these two groups itself so, and patalgadi movement it, it's not a rebel group it's a democratic right of the people and people are practicing it and they are there are misunderstanding between the government and the people so you can't call it rebel group would you call the protesters in bhatta parsol who were shot dead and who had uh, sort of uh, 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 blocked the entire area uh, you know uh, protesting against the land acquisition were they rebel group if you are ready to call them rebel group then i'm i have no problems if you call pathalgadi movement supporters rebel group
2: okay uh Aruna Vishaka do you want to come in on any of that? No, I I would rather uh, this is not something that I I just follow and okay. keep a track Arunab of. I do do you want to comment on that? No thanks. I
0: I, okay. I haven't uh, read, read up much on it.
2: So uh coming back to Vishaka before closing the podcast, Vishaka, we were talking about the Thomson Reuters report, but uh, I also want to ask you, since you've worked in multiple newsrooms, what has your experience been in these newsrooms as a reporter, as a journalist, and also as a woman in the newsrooms?
1: That's such a tough question.
2: Um, In most
1: online newsrooms, in current mainstream media organizations, online journalism means sitting, copy-pasting, curating, and maybe doing social media, right? Based stories. Or just being a social media manager. uh, But there's absolutely no uh, attention given to reportage or to working on a journalist's individual (coughs) reporting skills. So what that does is uh, there's a vacuum and there's also sort of, uh, there are ambitious young journalists who are dying to report or dying to build contacts and sources to fill this vacuum some of us start pitching stories and giving ideas or try you know suggest can we follow can we if not just shadow uh, good reporters or reporters near us in our own time and you get permission to do none of that because you all your time you have to sit and Produce
2: and publish as many pieces as possible Quantities And case. this goes beyond the gender It is applicable to everyone yeah, who is yeah. in this the newsroom part
1: For sure This is across the board um, Men, women alike um,
2: uh, Arunab, you've also worked in multiple newsrooms Do you agree with what Vishaka is saying?
0: Oh, well, So I've been lucky that way. I mean, uh, I've always been a reporter, uh, and uh, and the first job I was uh, I, I was was on the desk. Uh, uh, I that mean, I was I was essentially shoving copies then for uh, the sports website back in Bangalore. But after that, I've essentially been uh, a reporter always, and you know, you know what I do now is uh, based on you know sitting on the desk.
1: Okay, I guess what I also was trying to say was. Uh um, you know what he said about being a reporter? I mean, all the reporting that you can do is on your own time, and you have to have the the will to push your story through. Like, I've done that, I've done a story, and then I've told my editor, you can use it if you'd like to. So, yeah, you have to have that kind of drive, but also it's very... Uh, the whole environment and the pressure of it is quite draining when you go back home. Mm -hmm. You've literally spent nine to 10 hours in front of a screen, maybe at a 15 or 20 minute break. And uh, talking about the gender equality bit. So in one of my newsrooms, I was actually, I have written about this. I was uh, uh, harassed by one of my, one of a head of a department at a, at an office party while he was really, really drunk. And I ended up quitting a month or a month and a half after. And I still haven't been able to talk to anybody. Like I can't, I can't talk to my industry peers. It just, just fills me with fear and dread in general. And then there was another newsroom where I would pitch stories but I would find that most of the stories were being done by my male colleagues in the newsroom. And to the point that I even pitched a story which was shut down at the time but was published in the paper with the byline of another of one of my male colleagues from the newsroom. Oh. So that is the kind of, and I feel like the environment that it creates, it kind of kills your drive to push stories or to do something beyond what your KRE and your, the numbers you're supposed to get.
2: Okay. Um, I Amit, mean, do you want to comment on that?
3: I have just one question. I have been always always curious. Like, if you go through the uh, uh, the digital versions of the MSMs, so what you also find is bizarre success stories. You know, co- commodifying women, and it's always it's soft porn that are, that is being sold. So and I assume there are enough women in the newsroom. So how these story ideas are pissed and how, you know, whether there's some, uh, there's, there's some objection by uh, women employees in the newsroom which is raised or uh, people in the newsroom find it absolutely fine because it gets you numbers. It's both the things. Uh,
1: the men, hear me when I say men, are supposed to get, the men who are supposed to get the numbers don't care. For them, the more out there that photograph or a piece of information is, the better. I know one newsroom would actually track at what time from which region they would suddenly get uh, traffic around 1 or 2 a.m. on a slightly like, on a story around sex, sexuality, or even, you know a scandal you know how we call these things so like oh the traffic is coming from Pune at 1 a.m. this is where all the bachelors are it's actually a very it's, they, they take it very in a very relaxed and uh, very chilled out manner in HD, uh, I know of women who HT is by far like where I saw I didn't see too much of uh, of what you were talking about, but that was just limited to my desk. There was also a lifestyle section. There are also sections that are, uh, and this is not HD, this is several newsrooms, that are not manned by say somebody like you or me, who's like interested in news and really wants to get into it. You've got people who are just being paid to upload photographs and create photo galleries, which are then going to get numbers. And there's SEO demands, like these are online uh, newsrooms. You've got SEO experts and, um, and they're telling you, okay, you've got to use certain
2: keywords, in certain stories to get so it's a vicious circle of what the demand is and what is being supplied and what you're talking about is editorial oversight which mm-hmm. no, I, I was is
3: also uh, just asking have you ever experienced or been witness to a situation where women employees have actually red flagged that how, how are you doing this story I mean this can't go on the website <laughs> Has been there a situation like this?
1: I have known of women doing it personally in a, in a very unofficial capacity, maybe speaking to their editors on a personal level. But when it comes down to, like, I mean, the same women who would object to it, say on a break or personally, would then go and publish more such stories because they also have to get the credit for getting a certain amount of traffic to the website.
2: Also, like, I don't think it's in within the roles and responsibilities, and actually the higher editorial would listen to women mm-hmm. objecting to stories that are getting them traffic. Like this, uh, I was at a press conference where numbers about um, viewership spikes were being shared, and I was shocked to know that there was an eighty-seven percent spike when Sri Devi's Moth Ka Batta was being played on media. So if that is the kind of numbers that sort of reportage is getting. So I I don't see the reason for uh, editors to put their feet down to certain reportage. But we are running out of time. So I would just ask the uh, first. Arunab, do you want to come in on any of that? No,
0: I mean, I I suppose, I mean, I agree with what most, what you said, I mean, it obviously happens. You know, because, I mean, news is essentially run as a business. Uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it happens all the time. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, you're right that you know, uh, I mean, sex is content uh, is peddled and you know, I mean, often done with uh, you know, I mean, the women are also often part of that you know should making process for whatever reasons, you know. Uh, so yeah, I mean. Um, this is, but, yeah, um, I personally have, uh, you know, had, I've had a good fortune of working in newsrooms and fairly ethical about such stuff. Okay. So, yeah, I suppose such newsrooms also do exist, you know, uh, do not, you know, do a certain, I would not go beyond a certain line. So, yeah.
2: Uh, so, I just wanted to go to the panel to ask the panel to share their recommendations. So, Aruna, what do you want to recommend?
0: Uh, since it's football season, uh, so this is an article uh, in this really lovely publication in uh, of the last uh, you know couple of months, Roads and Kingdoms. Uh, it's called uh, Afro Europe in the World Cup. So basically, you know, African players, uh, players of African origin playing to European countries. You know, the politics of it. This comes after, I suppose, Peter uh, piece gone viral a couple of weeks ago by this best striker, uh, Roman Lukaku. Right. Uh, so the politics of playing for a uh, European country uh, as, as as a black uh, footballer, you know, it tells you a lot about football, the sport, you know, the politics of migration, you know.
2: And what's the name, name of know, the as publication?
0: That's a great piece. It's called Afro-Europe in the World Cup. Uh, it's on rules and kingdoms.
2: Okay. Um, Vishaka, do you want to share your recommendation? Uh, well, I would, I would like to recommend uh,
1: the water series that Asia Times is running at the moment. Uh, we know that uh, most of Indian uh, metro cities would be out of water by 2020. 2020. Um, and so we've got Himanshu Thakkar, who is, um, get this right, coordinator of the South Asian network of dams, rivers and people. And he's written three uh, very, very in-depth pieces so far for Asia times where one he looks at the Shimla water crisis uh, how these smart cities that we're building actually have no water policy to the point that we I mean not a single city is capable of treating their sewage Hmm. uh, the sewage that they create not even like 10% of that sewage is being treated and of course uh, how India's response to this crisis has been really dense in terms of the reports that it's been working on um, and general inquiries, it's been setting up. Uh,
2: Amit,
3: I'm just report uh, repeating the recommendation. I mean, not which I recommended in last week's report as with our podcast, but in the uh, charcha. Uh, so this is uh, the ground report on Patalgadi movement from Jharkhand, and it's in English. So you can read it, and for the Hindi Hindi readers, uh, you can go to the original story uh, which was written by Niraj Sinha uh, in Hindi. Uh,
2: Since we were talking about uh, FGM, I want to recommend a documentary made by Priya Goswami in 2012. It's called A Pinch of Skin. I was watching it last night and I was... I, w- I was looking at the data for um, FGM in India and I realized that there is no data and uh, Menka Gandhi's um, rejection that or rather denial that there is um, no female genital mutilation in India. I was shocked at, uh, to see that in the documentary people have come forward and People are talking about it as part of the culture and I personally know a friend who's gone through it. So that documentary definitely uh, must watch. And on that note, we close today's podcast. But uh, before we go, I'd like to remind our listeners that for a healthier media and better reportage, they need to step in. You need to support media organisations because when the public pays, the public is served and when corporations and advertisers pay, they are served. So pay to keep news free, subscribe to News Laundry or any other independent news organisation of your choice. Happy subscribing. Thank you, panel. Thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please
0: subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. (laughs)